please turn in your Bibles back to Psalm 73. This is on page 636 in the Church Bibles and is on page 951 in the first part of the Chinese Bibles. Let us come before the Lord, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know we can do nothing without you. We know we need your strength to just see you, to see your glory, to behold you in just your beauty and your, your greatness. And Lord, we pray this evening you would just work in our hearts. Give us eyes to see and to believe in you and to trust in you and to follow you. Please help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to be near God. It is good to be near God. Last week, we started looking at Psalm 73, and we saw that envy is a real temptation for Christians. There are those in the world who live their lives today totally against God, and yet they prosper. They're in our workplaces, in our families, they're all around us. They live a lifestyle of prosperity and ease. And some of them are actually oppressive. Some of them persecute us. They make life hard for us. And when we focus on them, their lives can seem so much better than ours. But last week we saw that their destiny is without God. We need to have a heavenly perspective on ourselves and upon the the wicked around us. For those who are far away from God, their end is destruction. But for all of those who are near God, we know him as our portion, as our prosperity. Therefore, we should not envy the world and their prosperity, but rather we should approach God and delight in him. This psalm teaches us that we need to turn away from the world and to turn to look to Jesus, to look to God and find our all in him. And we saw this through the psalm last week. And let's just look through and recap just the structure and how this psalm actually just shows us how it plays out, how Asaph wrote the psalm and expressed his troubles with envy. In the first part, you can see in um, from verses 4 to 11, You can see that he uses the word they loads and loads of times. He's so focused on them. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Verse 5, they are free from burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Verse 6, they clothe themselves with violence. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Verse 11, they say, how can God know? Does the God most, most high have knowledge? He's so focused on them, and that ends up turning into a self-focus. And so in verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands all day long. I have been plagued. I have been punished. If I had said, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, 
He's, his focus is all on himself there. But then tonight we're going to see at the, in this last section that now he's focused all on God. He uses the word you so much. In verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me to, into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All of that section, it is so God-focused. And so what we need to do is we need to turn away from looking at the wicked, because when we are there, we're looking, looking at them. And we get, can get so focused on their prosperity. But what we need to do is to look the other way to Christ and to look to God and see all of our prosperity in him. That is what Asaph is doing in the psalm. He's turned away from looking to the wicked and now he's looking at God. Therefore, our lives need to be characterized by approaching God. To come near him and to delight ourselves in him. But how do we approach God? How do we draw near? We don't have a temple like Asaph did to go and inquire in. How do we access God? Well, we approach him through Jesus Christ. He gives us the heavenly perspective. We are to see our lives in the light of who he is and what he has done for us. All of our spiritual blessings are in him. Like it says in Ephesians, he has lavished the great riches of his grace upon us. Our prosperity is in Christ. So tonight we're going to look through verses 23 to 28. And we're going to rejoice to see how it is good to be near God. To draw near to him through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in two points this evening. Two ways we can approach God. Two things that we can know from him. We can approach him as our guide and we can approach him as our portion. And then at the end, we're just going to look at Asaph's conclusion. It'll be our conclusion. Uh, His conclusion in verse 27 and 28. Concluding this week and last week. So let's turn to our first point. We can approach God as our guide. We can approach God as our guide. In verses 23 to 24, we see how God guides us through the Christian life. There's a progression going through these verses, so look through them with me. So starting in verse 23, we see how we are in a relationship with God. We are always with him and he is grasping our right hand. But then in verse 24, it furthers this because it says he guides us with his counsel. It's not like we're just standing with God and we have this relationship. He leads us on day by day with him. And then right at the end of verse 24, it says he will lead us all the way to glory. So he's going to lead us all the way through this life. We've come into relationship with him. He will guide us through and he'll guide us all the way to glory. So let's look at this in detail. Verse 23 then. I am always with you. And notice there, that's Asaph speaking. 
I am always with you. Asaph is always with you. And it's significant, the word order. So it's not God is always with me. It is the other way around. I am always with you, God. And of course the former is true. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. But the emphasis on this, on the, using these words here, is that not that how God is with us, but upon how we are with God. This verse is expressing our faith towards him. It's telling him of our desire for him, how we want to be near him. And to illustrate this, imagine you're going for coffee with two people on two separate different occasions. With the first person, you go, and they only talk about themselves. They're boasting to you about their great life and all the things they've been doing, and they're constantly telling you to be like them, and that that would make you much more better off if you were just living life just like them. But then the set you go to coffee with a different person, and you can tell that their concern is for you. They ask you about how you're really doing. They remember your last conversation with them and some of the things you said. And in fact, they've gone and bought something to help you with your problems, to deal with a situation you had. Clearly, they have spent their time thinking about you and so that they might serve you and love you. Which person would you rather be with? Would you want to spend, which one would you want to spend all of your time around? Well, to see this, the first person, they represent the world. They boast about themselves. They keep telling you of their great success and how you could join them and enjoy life's prosperity with them. But then the second person, this is something of just a small picture of our great God. He makes clear his concern for you. He even knows your need before you ask it. Before a word is on our tongues, he knows it. He perceives our thoughts from afar, and he has already provided the perfect solution for us in Jesus Christ. Don't you just want to be around him? And this was the attitude of his disciples in John chapter 6. At a time when some people were leaving Jesus, he said to his disciples, You do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Who else is there to turn to except Jesus Christ? Where else would you rather be except near him? Is your faith in him? And do you tell him, do you express that? I want to always be with you. It's good to be near you. I want to hear from you and follow you. Where else would I turn? This is the Christian's desire for God. But then notice the second half of the verse. God desires to be near us. It's a two-way relationship. It says, you hold me by my right hand. The first half of the verse is when we're looking to God and seeing how, who he is and how we want to be near him. But then the second half shows how much God wants to be near us. He stretches out his arm and he grasps us by the hand and he takes care of us. He is for us. 
And this is especially amazing, considering how weak and sinful we really are. Who am I that God would condescend to help me? Why would God want to help such a sinner like me? Remember Asaph in verse 2. He felt like his steps had nearly slipped. He faced the temptation to envy and to doubt God's goodness. And he was ashamed of that. In fact, in verse 21 and 22, he says how he was like a brute beast of the field. That's a very humiliating term for a human to describe themselves as an animal. He's describing how his, he was driven by his passions. He was senseless and ignorant. He wasn't thinking right about God. He had entirely the wrong perspective. Sin seemed to have a grip on him, clinging so closely. Do you feel like that at times? When your sinful passions burn within you, causing you to long after the prosperity of the wicked, after the things of this world, I wish I could have that. Or for something else that you long for. Have your feet been about to slip? And have they slipped? Well, then turn to God and see that he has a stronger grip on you than your sin. He will not let us utterly fall away from him. Listen to this very similar verse from Isaiah 41. It's very similar to the verse we are in. I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Though we are tempted at times to leave God for sin, his love will not let us go. The Lord has great compassion on us. He sees us in our frailty and he wants to help us. What a wonderful God we have. So, to summarise verse 23. When we look at God and all he is to us, we will want to be near him. And when God looks at us, despite our sin, he wants to be near us. This is our great relationship with him. But we don't stand still with God. He doesn't want us to remain in sin. He wants us to walk with him and he wants to be our guide along the way. See in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. This is a relationship with God that continues on and on, day by day. He wants to be near us in our lives, in our struggles, in our joys, in our sorrows. He wants to be with us and guide us through it all. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to comfort us, to teach us, to lead us, to give us the counsel we need. Contrast that then with the wicked in verse 10 and 11. The wicked follow after one another. They turn to one another and drink waters in abundance. Worldly wisdom is everywhere today. There are many people setting themselves up as fountains of wisdom. 
There are all kinds of lifestyles you could live, all kinds of solutions to our problems, all kinds of ways to live, but they all have one thing in common. They are all without God. And even more, they are all against God. It's difficult to live for God in a society so hostile against him. There's the pressure to conform, to agree with what they say is good. We can envy how their solutions are so, seem to be so much easier than ours. We might not envy the solution, but the ease, how just easy it was for them to get out of it. And whether that's raise, how to raise your children, how to get a promotion, how to live a long life, how to get rich quick. There's like a how-to guide on about everything these days. But we are guided by the Most High. The world wants us to be conformed to its image, but God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He doesn't want us to be beasts living in ignorance. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants us to be restored to our former image that he made us in, the image of God, the image of Christ. He wants us to be like him so that he can have fellowship with us. And contrary to the world's wisdom, the wisdom of Christ is that of self-sacrificial service. It's love that serves, that doesn't go and hoard prosperity for ourselves, but wants to give and to give and to give. We are to follow Christ. We are to have his mind, the mind of Christ, the mind of humility and service. He wants us to take up our crosses and follow him. And maybe that's the wisdom you need in a situation now, whether it's a big decision, whether it's a small decision, whether it's just simply going to someone and sacrificing your own pride and going and talking to them about something. Whatever it is that God is calling you to, may you go and sacrificially love them. And as we live in this way in our lives, then afterwards, God will bring us all the way to glory. This is to characterize our entire lives. That's what it says in verse 24. Here we live a life of struggles, bodily pains, burdens, illnesses. There will be things we would rather be without. And there are situations we'd rather not be in. But it is all nothing. Nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed in us. That outweighs it all. This life of following Christ will be hard, but he will walk with us all the way to glory. All the way my Saviour leads me. He cheers each winding path I tread. That can be our song. All the way he leads us. And so, when we focus on the world, we will inevitably become self-focused, self-dependent. But when we focus on God, we will have a heavenly perspective on this life. Then we will say all the more with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And notice the assurance that this verse gives that we will gain. Look at how Asaph says at the end, you 
will take me into glory. God will bring us to glory. It is not dependent upon ourselves. It's dependent upon his word. And we can trust in his word. As it says here, we must persevere. But if we are his, we will persevere. He, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has grasped us by the hand and he is guiding us through our lives and he will glorify us when Jesus returns. We might go through times of envy and doubt, but this is all that we might rely on him more. We lean upon Christ, our beloved, who takes us up out of this world into glory. When we have that heavenly perspective, this life is but a wilderness, but eternity will be a garden of delight. But why will glory be so great? Will we just get to heaven and enjoy all the things that the wicked have had here, just delayed? Put it this way. If you were to go to heaven and have all of your troubles dealt with and your body in perfect health, and if you could go on endless holidays to all the places you'd ever want to go with all your friends and family, and if you had infinite resources and wealth and ease, would you be satisfied if God was not there? This is what Asaph deals with in our second point. We can approach God as our portion. In verse 25, Asaph makes a very bold statement. After this time at looking at the world and what they had, he compares everything and everyone in all of heaven and all of earth. He puts it all together. And at first... He struggled with that envy to follow it. But then he entered the temple. But then he looked at God in his glory. And nothing in all creation could compare with him. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Asaph is exalting God above all other things. He's not denying that there is a good thing here in this world, but he sees that God is just surpassing it all. God is far greater than the prosperity of the wicked. And so Asaph goes on in verse 26 with such confidence to say that though his heart flesh and his heart may fail, God is the strength of his heart and his portion forever. He knew that his flesh and his heart were going to fail He could look at the wicked and see how they had healthy bodies, but he was realistic. He saw that he was weak. He was fully aware of that. But that was no longer worth worrying over. For now he was focused on God. God was the strength of his heart. Though he was weak and tempted to leave him, he found new strength in the Lord. His heart that longed after the wicked was now strengthened to long after God. 
But then Asaph saw also how God was his portion forever. He possessed God. This is the language of inheritance. God was his inheritance. God was his portion. God was everything to him. Yes, Asaph had other gifts besides God, but out of all of these things, the chief blessing of them all was God himself. The wicked, however, do not inherit God. They do not know him. Their portion is found here from among the things of this earth. Our unbelieving friends, family and colleagues seem to be consumed with the things of this earth, whether it's clothing, technology, their homes, experiences. This world is their portion and it never brings any contentment. But as for us, we have someone greater in heaven. We have Jesus Christ. We are content in him. This is what eternal life is all about. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing Christ. Jesus said this in John chapter 17. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't about getting everything you've ever wanted. It's so much more than that. Eternal life is to know God, to know Christ. He is the strength of our hearts. He strengthens our weak longings after him. He is our, he is our portion. He is our prosperity. All of our spiritual blessings are in him. And so we are to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. We are not to set our minds on the things of this earth, but on him and all the spiritual blessings that are in him. Most of you will know John Bunyan, famous for writing Pilgrim's Progress. Well, one day his mind was fixed upon Christ in heaven. This is him speaking. One day, as I was passing into the field, This sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, where is your righteousness? Because there it was before him. Now I could look from myself to him and could reckon that all my character was like the coins of a rich man in his pocket when all of his gold is safe in a trunk at home. Oh, I saw that my gold was indeed in a trunk at home, in Christ my Lord. Now Christ was all, my righteousness, sanctification, redemption, If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your righteousness is in heaven, for it is Christ's righteousness. Though you are a sinner, his righteousness is yours now. You are forgiven and made acceptable before God all through him. But that is only one of our spiritual blessings. It's a big one, yes, but there are so many more. And I'm going to share some more with you 
And they're all coming from this psalm. Some of them are in contrast to the wicked. Some of them are more obvious, standing out from the text. Most of this is in the future, but we can now look now and we can experience something of it now. So, when we look to Christ, we see our refuge. For as sure as he has borne all of our wrath, all of the wrath of God, that, all of the wrath that God has for us, so too will we be safe from the wrath to come. We see our healing. For as sure as his body has been raised from the dead, so too will ours be perfected and be perfectly new. We see our inheritance. For as sure as Christ is the heir of all things, so too will we be co-heirs with him. We see our rest. For as sure as he has carried our burdens, so too will we find rest in him. We see our purity. For as sure as he has kept his hands innocent of evil, so too will we be presented holy and blameless before him on the day of his return. We have all of this and so much more in Jesus Christ. This is who he is for us. We can say, my refuge is in heaven. My healing is in heaven. My inheritance is in heaven. My rest is in heaven. My purity is in heaven. All because my Jesus is in heaven. Surely it is good to be near God. These words of Asaph are how he closes the psalm. And so let's look at how he closes it as our closing tonight in verses 27 and 28. In verse 27, Asaph sees the end of the wicked once again. Those who are far from God will perish. God will destroy all who are unfaithful to him. Maybe you too need to hear this warning. Maybe you weren't here last week and didn't hear it then. Well, those who are far from God will perish without him. If you live your life far away from him and close to this world, if you seek to gain the whole world, or at least your small portion of it, you will lose your soul. But if you forsake this world and look to Christ, you will gain everything in him. Look up to heaven now and see Jesus Christ. See that he is your salvation and your righteousness before God. Place your trust in him. But then Asaph speaks for himself. But as for me, it is good to be near God. When Asaph was looking back at the wicked, he says like his feet had almost slipped. He'd nearly walked away from God. But now he is looking to God and now he can say it is good to be near God. And so too can we say that. It is good to be near God. For one thing, it's good because he is our refuge from the wrath to come. But it's also good to be near God in this life because he is our guide on the way to glory. But above all else, it is good to be near God because he is our portion forever. He is our prosperity in heaven. It is all in him. Can you say that tonight? It is good to be near God. 
It's good to be near him now and it's good to be near him for all eternity. But then there are two more things Asaph says. Firstly, he says, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. As God guides us through this life, we are safe and secure in him. We will not lose a single spiritual blessing at all. He is sovereign over all of our circumstances. We can have the assurance that everything we own in Christ is ours. It is there in heaven. And as sure as he ever lives, we will receive everything from him. He has died once and once for all. He will not die again. We will die once, but then we will be with him for all eternity. We will never lose our portion because our portion is God, is him. But then secondly, Asaph says, how he will declare all of God's deeds. Back in verse 15, he was tempted to tell the children of God that he was going to pack it all in, that he was going to follow the wicked. But now he is praising God. He is declaring all of his deeds. So let us do the same. Let's tell of all his wondrous deeds. Firstly, to one another, that we might encourage one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, exhorting one another to look to him. And then let us tell of his wonderful deeds to a prospering yet dying world. We want to tell them the gospel. We want to tell them of Jesus Christ, that they can have him too. We want to tell them of a God who is good to his people, a God who can be their God too. And then may we tell out our soul before God himself in song. May we sing to him of all that he has done for us. May we delight over him in song, just as he delights over us. It is good to be near God. Amen.